Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. We, uh, I'm gonna, I've entitled my message very simply, Hills and Valleys. Hills and Valleys. And I'm hoping that what I share tonight is really going to inspire you and just enable you just to uh, really understand something of God's heart. And so I want to turn to 1 Kings chapter 20, and we're going to read a portion of Scripture here, and bear with me as we just read a portion out. It'll be up on the screens as well. And uh, we're going to see something of this account, and then I'm going to kind of extract some things from it that I think will be helpful for you in terms of understanding the God that we serve. Because I echo what Pastor Tony was saying, that we serve a mighty God. We serve a God who is the King of all things, the one who is seated above all, whose name is above every other name, the one who, of whom the angels said that when Jesus was born, this is good news for all mankind. You've got to understand the God that we serve is not some weak, insignificant, useless, pathetic, sideline God. He is the God of all gods. He is the authority above all authority. And we're going to celebrate Him here tonight. Is anyone here with me? All right, you should have found 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 20, and we're going to pick it up in verse 13. It says, Meanwhile, a prophet came to Ahab, king of Israel, and announced, and what was going on here? There was some attack going on against the nation of Israel. There'd been some various threats going on. And we pick it up here. It says, uh, This prophet now comes and announced, This is what the Lord says. Do you see this vast army? And I will give it into your hand today, and then you will know that I am the Lord. But who will do this, asked Ahab? The prophet replied, this is what the Lord says. The junior officers under the provincial commanders will do this. And who will start the battle, he asked. The prophet answered, you will. So Ahab summoned the 232 junior officers under the assembly of the provincial commanders. And then he assembled the rest of Israel, 7,000 in all. They set out at noon. While Ben-Hadad and the 32 kings allied with him were in their tents getting drunk, as you do at, at a battle. You see, the junior officers under the provincial commanders went out first. Now Ben-Hadad had dispatched scouts who reported, men are advancing from Samaria. And he said, if they come out from peace, for peace, take them alive. And if they've come out for war, take them alive. The junior officers under the provincial commanders marched out of the city with the army behind them. And each one struck down his opponents. At that, the Aramaeans fled with the Israelites in pursuit. But Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, escaped on horseback with some of his horsemen. The king of Israel advanced and overpowered the horses and chariots and inflicted heavy losses on the Aramaeans. Afterwards, the prophet came to the king of Israel and said, Strengthen your position and see what must be done, because next spring the king of Aram will attack you again. Meanwhile, the officials of the king of Aram advised him, Their gods are gods of the hills, but that is why... They were too strong for us. But if we fight them on the plains, surely we will be stronger than they. Do this, remove for all the kings from their commands and replace them with other officers. You must also raise an army like the one you lost, horse for horse and chariot for chariot, so we can fight Israel on the plains. Then surely we will be stronger than they. He agreed with them and acted accordingly. The next spring, Ben-Hadad mustered the Aramaeans and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. And when the Israelites were also mustered and given provisions, they marched out to meet them. The Israelites camped opposite them like two small flocks of goats, while the Aramaeans covered the countryside. The man of God came up and told the king of Israel, this is what the Lord says, because the Aramaeans think that the Lord is the God of the hills and not a God of the valleys, 
I will deliver this vast army into your hands. And you will know that I am the Lord. For seven days they camped opposite each other, and on the seventh day the battle was joined. The Israelites inflicted 100,000 casualties on the Aramean foot soldiers in one day. The rest of them escaped to the city of Aphek, where the war collapsed on 27,000 of them, and Ben-Hadad fled to the city and hid in a, in a room. What a, what a cool, cool account. A cool story, and I, I love this because here they are under attack, and, and, uh, and there's this intimidation that was coming against them as a nation. And I hope you realize that that is the devil's primary tactic that he'll try and use against you is that he'll try and use intimidation to stop you from believing that you actually have the victory that Jesus actually purchased for you. And so he comes, they come with this intimidation and, and, and they try and get it believed. But God sends his prophet to this King Ahab and he says to King Ahab, do you see this vast army? You see, God wants to know what do you see when you look around? He's not saying, do you see with your natural eyes? Yes, he's saying, do you see with your natural eyes? But do you also see what I see? Do you see what God sees when he looks at that situation? Sometimes I think we see with our natural eyes and we allow our natural minds to then put us in a position of, of faithlessness when God actually says, I want you to see what I see because when you see what I see, that's where the battle and that's where the victory and the breakthrough is actually found. And so God, God he says, do you see this vast army? And, 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 uh, and, and it's, it's amazing because we know that the Israelites are only 7,000. And we know the, the enemy that he was coming up against, the Arameans, were at least hundreds of thousands. Because we know that in this account, there were at least 127,000 of them that got killed. So the odds were pretty stacked against them, Ashley. This is overwhelming stuff. You're a mathematician, Ash. You know all about this stuff. Is that good odds? That's not good odds. If you're in doubt, come and ask Ash. He'll tell you that's not good odds. 7,000 against hundreds of thousands. But he wanted them to see with their spirit. He wanted them to see something that God could see. And he says this to them. He says, I will give into your hands today, and then you will know that I am the Lord. When you look at the city of Adelaide, what do you see? What do you see? Oh, I see a city that's got its problems. I see this. I see that. I see. And yeah, all those things may be true, but God wants us to see something else. He wants us to see a prophetic future. He wants us to see something else. He wants us to see universities and schools turned upside down with people who are just passionate for Jesus, making a difference, not just being places that where it's higher learning and somehow we just lose faith when we go to university. No, I'm believing that we can see universities and schools and colleges transformed by young people who are on fire for Jesus, who are passionate about God, who have the reality of the Holy Spirit inside of them and are saying, we want to go and make a difference wherever we can. We we want to see Adelaide transformed. We want to see Adelaide claim back for Jesus. Is there anyone in this room that says, yes and amen, I'm with you? What do you see? What do you see for this church? What do you see? Do you think this is it? I can tell you this is not it. I've known Tony Kath for a long time. Let me tell you, there's so much more inside of them. There's so much more vision. There's so much more that they're believing God for. And I know this is by far not it. There's much, much, much more. What do you see? And then what do you see for your own life? 
Oh, I see my problems. I see my hardship. Yes, those may be real. But understand the Israelites were 7,000 against hundreds of thousands. They had some big problems against them. But God says, I want you to see what I see because I'm going to give this army into your hands. Don't allow your problems to, to diminish your faith. There's things there that God wants to pull out of us about who this God is. You know, uh, what you see is what you become. What you see is what you become. And so King Ahab, after all this, says, well, okay, so who's going to do this? I love that answer because he's kind of like almost trying to find a way out. He says, oh, yeah, yeah, but I kind of recognize that the odds are kind of stacked against us. He's hedging his bets a little bit. He's kind of going, oh, no, 7,000 of us, hundreds of thousands of them. Uh, okay, okay, if this is true, who's going to do this? And uh, I, love, I love the response because the prophet says, I want you to send the junior officers. And I think there's something significant in that. Uh, 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 oldies. Anyone 50 plus? Anyone out there 50 plus here tonight? They're, I'm one of those. Come on, be proud. Almost. Tony's almost there. But, but, but here's, here's the thing. There's a strategy, I believe, that's in here. Because it says, they, they said that we're going to use the junior officers under the command of the divisional, uh, divisional leaders. And I believe there's something about a younger generation that God is wanting to raise up. And He's saying, guys, you've got to stop mucking around and you've got to get serious about the things of God because I want to use you to affect my purposes. And older people, you've got to stop closing the doors and putting them down and saying they're just young. We actually need them to actually get up and get out and actually begin to take on the things of God. I think in my, as I kind of get older, I begin to realize the importance of that more and more. I realize I used to be one of them. But my role has changed. Now it's actually saying, God, I want to encourage them to more, to more, to more. And my role is to kind of be a mentor, be those that are standing here, opening the way and say, come on, run, run. When they fall, come here alongside and say, hey, it's okay. Come on, let's do it again. The prophet says, send out the young, the young commanders under the divisional heads. And it says in verse 14, Ahab asks, so who's actually going to start this battle? And I love the, the, the prophet comes back to him and says, you. <laughs> what? Yes, you. You, Ahab, you're actually going to start the battle. And I think breakthrough comes when we stop looking for someone else to actually do it. Hello? When we stop looking for someone else to be the answer, someone else to get the breakthrough, someone else to do the hard yards, when we actually understand that actually it's our mandate, God is calling us and He wants us to be the ones that are actually going to make the difference. Who's going to do this? You. I think God's looking for people who are going to put their hands up, who know the authority, who know the call of God and saying, God, I'll do it. Why do we go to Canberra? Why do we go start a church in Canberra? Because we heard the call of God and we said, God, will do it. And I believe there's things here tonight even, things in this local community, things in this church that they're just looking for people who are just prepared to say, I'll do it. I'll do it. Let's stop leaving it up to the few and let's, get, let's kind of begin to take our responsibility and carry what we need to because that breaks open the way. And so they set out for battle. And Ben-Hadad and his 32 allied kings are so confident they got this one that they, they're just having a great party. They're drinking it up. They're just enjoying themselves.
And I want to say to some of us, now's our time to get off the bench. Some of you have sidelined yourselves. Some people, when I come back and I'm looking at some of you and I'm saying you're sitting in the same seats doing the same things, I'm not being nasty. <laughs> I'm actually, I, just want to, I just want to inspire you and challenge you. As a friend, as someone who cares about you, who cares about this church, who cares about the leaders, who knows the vision that's on their heart, some of you have benched yourselves. No one's benched you, you've benched yourself. And I feel like God wants to challenge you tonight and say, hey, it's time to get off the bench. It's time to get over your hurts and get over you and get healed and whatever it is that you need to get out of. And you need to get back on the playing field again because you've got things to do and this church needs you. And God says, I want you on the battlefield. I believe the Holy Spirit's speaking to some of you right now. You need to make appointments this week to come and see the leaders and have conversations with them and apologize for how you benched yourself and actually just get back on the team again. Sorry, Tony, is that all right? I do love you. Don't discount what you can do for Jesus. We each have an opponent to face. And it says in verse 19 and 20, it says, these young men, they set out to battle. And it says, with the army behind each one, they struck down his opponent. And it says, at that, the Aramaeans fled. See, we've each got to battle the fights. Your role does matter. Your participation does matter. You're not insignificant in terms of what God is doing here. You're not just a number that's making up a number. You have a divine purpose and a, for being in this place. And God, you might be early in that journey, but you've still got a purpose. And God says, I want to see you just getting involved and being part and fighting your opponents. Don't discount what God can do through you. Here's the thing I've understood after many years of being in ministry, it's simply this, is that, you know, the enemy, the opponent that we have to fight, it's most often not the devil. <laughs> Hello, the spiritual people out there, you're kind of freaking out right now. You're saying, no, 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 the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion. He's, he's got, to, got to get me. No, no, no. I think we give far too much credit to the devil because I think the biggest fight is the fight within. I think the biggest fight are some of those insecurities and hurts and things and, and things that we got inside of us. And that's the fight that you've got to fight. That's the thing we've got to deal with. Why? How do I know that? Because I've had to deal with those very same things. And there's not a person here that doesn't have to fight that opponent. You conquering that fear, that failure, that scary next step, that uncertainty, that future, that, that leadership call, that insecurity of self-confidence, that is you taking on your opponent. And the sooner we get on with that stuff and start doing business that way, I believe God can do incredible things with us. They advance, striking down their opponents. And then it says in verse 22, it says the prophet comes again after this and they have this thing and the enemy defeats, uh, retreats. The prophet comes and says, this is not over. Strengthen your position and see what needs to be done because next spring the king of Aram will attack you again. See, sometimes it's not one battle. 
There's ongoing battles that need to happen. There's seasons. There's always another season. There's always an, another thing that have, you have to go through. And in the context of a church, there's always a new season. There's new things. There's things that God is doing and unfolding. And it's going to require all of us to just say, God, okay, I'm putting myself in that equation. I need to grow. I need to stretch. I need to be enlarged. I need to be healed. Whatever it is, God, I want to grow. I want to be that kind of person. There's always a next season. There's always another battle. And what happens in between those battles? Your job is to make sure that you're strengthening what is there. Here's the thing. You don't wait for battle day to suddenly start working out. I've got to get battle ready. No, you use the seasons in between to get battle ready. I've got a little bit of a pet peeve. Hope you don't mind me just sharing this with you. Just one. If it was on our church, I'd have more. No, <laughs> But of course, this church is only one. But I've got this pet peeve. You know what I don't like? When people, when I ask people to do something, or ask something of someone and say, hey, I've got this opportunity. Would you be prepared to step up in that? And this is their response. I'll pray about it. <laughs> Christian, no. I'll pray about it. If you do that, please stop. Now, I believe in prayer. I believe that prayer is important. I believe we need to be praying more. I believe all that kind of stuff. But here's the thing. You should be ready. You should already have things settled. And so when the opportunity comes for you to get involved and to step up and to be involved, there should be something inside your spirit that you say, I don't have to pray about it. I don't have to search the Lord. I don't have to have writing in the sky. I just know the answer is yes. Imagine what we could do with a church that operated and lived that way. It wouldn't just be the few that are just getting stretched and stretched and stretched and stretched. All of a sudden, there's people just everywhere just stepping up. And have you ever thought about this? The reason why you've been asked. Sorry, I'm just going to bring some home some truth. The reason you've been asked is, number one, they think you can do the job. And number two, they think you've got the capacity. So why do you have to go away and think about it and pray about it? In between the seasons of battle, just do the work. Settle it already and just say, man, when the opportunities come, if someone comes to me, I'm going to make sure my answer is yes. Yes. My testimony is one of those guys. I'm just a guy that said yes. Over and over and over again. And listen to what it says here in in here about these Aramaeans in verse 23. It says they, they, they think they've hit on what went wrong and why they lost. And they go to the king, King Ben-Hadad, and they say, Oh, we've got it. We've got this amazing understanding of what happened. Their God is a God of the hills. And we were trying to fight them on the hills. But we know if we fight them in the valley, that's when we're going to win. What a, what a dumb conclusion. I mean, let's be honest. It's really stupid. But in their moment, they were clutching at straws. And they thought they kind of got onto something. Oh, he's a God of the hills. Oh, we can win if he's a God of the hills. And if we fight them in the valleys, that's when it's going gonna, it's gonna to come through. Sometimes I think there's many Christians that live with this kind of faulty understanding. Live with the same kind of understanding. We're kind of, we, we, when we feel like we're on the mountain, we come to nights like tonight, and with such faith in the house, and we're just like, yes, I can do anything. And then you walk out the door, and you're back into the valley. And all of a sudden, it's, uh, faith dissipates. You are like, oh, I don't know if God can work in my situation. I don't know what God can do through me. 
I want, to, I want to say to you, man, you need to get a right understanding of who our God is. He's not just a God of the hills. He's a God of the hills and He's a God of the valleys. Verse 28, the prophet comes again to King Ahab and says, this is what the Lord says, because the Aramans think that the Lord is a God of the hills and not a God of the valleys, I will deliver this vast army into your hands and you will know that I am the Lord. You see, he's adjusting faulty thinking. There's too many Christians that have faulty thinking about who God is. And he's saying, I want you to get good theology. I want you to get good understanding. I want you to get wisdom and understand that this God that we serve is not a God of some of your life. He's a God of all of your life. And so we see, you look through the Bible, you see that over and over again, he is, a, he is a God of the mountains. There were some incredible things that happened on the mountains in the Bible. You see the Ten Commandments were given on the, on the mountain. The burning bush where, where, with Abraham and he's sacrificing his son was on a mountain. Mount Carmel and the Elijah and the prophets defeated, that was on a mountain. The temple of Jerusalem was built on a mountain. Jesus appointed the 12 on a mountain. He delivers his first sermon on a mountain. The transfiguration of Jesus happened on a mountain. The commissioning of the apostles in Matthew 28 happened on a mountain. And then the Bible says things like this, the heights of the mountains are his. The mountains and the hills, praise the Lord. The mountains will drip with sweet wine. On the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news. Let the mountains bring peace. May there be abundance of grain on top of the mountains, stuff happens on mountains. (laughs) Stuff happens on mountains in the Bible. And so we cannot refute that. But you can't live on the mountain. You've got to go from the mountain to the valley. Because that's where we live life. We live life in the valley. And I don't think Pastor Tony and Kath would, would love if you just decided to camp here right through the week. I mean, it'd be cool for the first night, the second night, but after a while it'd get very, very tiresome. And God's a God of both. And so in verse 29, they go down to the valley and they camp opposite the Aramaeans for seven days. I want you to think about this. It didn't just rush in. Six days. Six is the number of men. They sit there in the valley, basically kind of doing everything that they needed to do first before God could do what only he could do. And so they, they, they sit in their valley and they're doing the work. And, and then on the seventh day, God's day, God's number, they, they, they go into battle. And then we see this incredible thing that takes place. And it says the odds are so stacked against them, they were like two small flocks of goats compared to the Arameans who said covered the valley. And sometimes it can seem like the odds are so massively stacked against you. Sometimes it can seem in life like the odds are so against you. Just like it was in this scenario. But God is a God who loves to defy the odds. And just, I want to tell you tonight that you may feel like your problem is covering you, but I'm here to tell you tonight that God has got your problem covered. God has got your problem covered. He's a God of the hills and of the valleys. And in verse 29, it says they go into battle on the seventh day, on God's day. And it says they inflicted 100,000 casualties. 7,000 men inflict 100,000 casualties. And then, and then not only that, those that ran away in fear of the enemy, it says they run to a nearby town and a wall accidentally falls on them and 27,000 more get killed. 
If you're in any, any doubt about whether your God has got your problem covered, just look at the story. This account tells us that God has got your problem covered. And we've got to live in this understanding that God is God of both the hills and the valleys. Psalm 23 verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, and your rod and your staff, it comforts me. Psalm 84 verse 4 says, Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of buckle, the valley of tears, they make it, they make it, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover the pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. He's a God of the mountains and the valleys. Do you know there's a great story about a great victory in the valley? Some of you might remember it. It's the story of David and Goliath. And there's an incredible thing. And then we find the story in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And it says that in this valley, this giant Goliath, who was said to be this monster of a man almost three meters tall, his armor was 60 kilograms in weight. He would come down into the valley every day and he would shout up to the, to the uh, Israelites on the hills and he would say, come on, come on down and fight me. For 40 days he does that. And the Israelites are terrified. Terrified that here is this man and their fear overrode their faith. What is in the valley of your life that you're running from? What's in the valley of your life that you're scared of? What's in the valley of your life that you're intimidated by? What giant is before you? But breakthrough comes when we see that God is both the God of the valleys and of the hills. So long comes this little shepherd boy bringing cheese. I don't know why a shepherd boy is bringing cheese, but anyway, he's, gonna, he's bringing cheese to come and feed them. And he comes along and he, as he comes along, he hears the giants just ushering his, his intimidatory call again and challenge to the army of Israel. And Israel's defied him. And he says this, he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? He's kind of getting something here. He understands that. And we pick it up in verse 32 of 1 Samuel 17. It says this. He says this to them. He says, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. He says, your servant, he's talking about himself, this little shepherd boy. He says, I'll let you go and fight him. And he says in verse 37, he says this, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the, and the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. You see, there's something here that David was catching, that he understood that God wasn't just a God of the mountains where he was with the sheep, but he also knew that God is a God of the valleys too. And he knew the same God, the same God that gave him the victory there was the same God who would actually give him the victory in the valley. You see, it's easy to praise God on the mountain. It's easy to praise God on a mountain like this. But it's amazing how that can evaporate when you go back out there into the world. So, so David puts on Saul's armor, thinks that's, that's what they think is a good idea, and he quickly finds out trying to be someone else doesn't work. <laughs> you don't need to be someone else. You just need to understand that God is a God of the hills and the valleys. <laughs> You don't need to be anyone else. You don't need to be Pastor Tony. You don't need to be Pastor Ashley. You don't need to be someone else. You don't need to be me. You just need to be you. But you need to understand that we serve the same God as the God of the mountains and of the valleys. That's where the victory is found. 
Not by you pretending to be someone else or trying to be someone else. And so David goes down into the valley and he says, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord our God Almighty. He says, all those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you all into our hands. You know, you might fire, feel pretty ordinary in the valley. I know at times I do. Because we haven't got a worship team there with us. We haven't got great lights and great venue and all the hospitality and all the buzz that goes with that. Sometimes I feel pretty ordinary in the valley. But we need to have a revelation. The battle's not ours. The battle is God's. So David takes what he's got. Five smooth stones. Just ordinary things that he would have seen every day as he was going about his shepherd duties and and he takes these ordinary things and I believe that God wants to take what you consider ordinary and he wants to breathe his supernatural life into that, gifts, talents, abilities and he wants to say that which you consider is very ordinary and what can be used with that, God says, man, I can do a lot with five ordinary stones. There's a great victory that's waiting in the valley. If you just give me your five ordinary stones, says, watch what I can do with those. And so we know that he strikes down Goliath. And that which promised defeat, that valley, now becomes a valley of victory. The name of this church is victory. For good reason. Because I know that the leaders of this church want you to be living a victorious life. The valley of defeat becomes a valley of victory. David knew that God was both the God of the hills and the valleys and he knew that God was with him. And when he was there looking after the sheep and fighting the lion and the bear and he had seen God come through, he said, hey, that's the same God. That's the same God that when I go and I see that giant down there and I see the intimidation of that, of that man down there, he says, I can go into that valley with confidence knowing that that same God goes with me. God is with me. God is with you. And He wants to go into your valley. And He wants to bring about an incredible victory for Jesus. Don't allow intimidation, fear to stop you from walking into the fullness of what God has for you. God is both the God of the hills and the valleys. And I believe that tonight there's a realignment that wants to take place in your heart. I believe there's something that God wants to do. That He wants to, for some of you, even as I've been talking, you've been realising that, to, man, I've just been living in this place. I've just been seeing God as a God of the, of the mountains. And when I'm in my valley, it seems like I just lose faith and I lose sight. And I feel like tonight there's a readjustment, a realignment that's coming back. I feel there's something that God is wanting to do in your hearts that He's saying, actually, guys, it's just a simple thing of perspective. You've got to understand that it's the same God. It's the same God. It's the same God. He wants to come into your valley. And He says, there's a victory to be won. Just trust me. Just believe in me. Won't you stand? Guys, don't go quiet on me. Because what I'm preaching, this is powerful truth. This is the kind of stuff that when you get it, can literally change the way that you live. All of a sudden you walk out of this place, you don't walk out defeated. You don't walk out fearing what lies outside these doors, but you walk out as a conqueror. 
you walk out as someone who knows the God that we serve. You walk out as someone who understands that our God is a God of the hills and He's a God of the valleys. He's a God who loves to breathe supernatural power into that which is ordinary. I don't need to stand back in fear. I don't need to stand in condemnation. I don't need to stand hurt, but I can trust God. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 